my timing, all right? So Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4 together. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So we're going to be looking at the promises of God. You know, there's a song that I learned when I was a little kid. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. C.H. Spurgeon said this about promises. He said, I have thumbed my Bible many a year. I have never yet thumbed a broken promise. The promises have all been kept to me. Not one good thing has failed. There's a, a story that I read many years ago about a, a pastor, and he went to a dentist. Now, I don't like going to dentist, especially if I know they're going to be drilling on me. And so this pastor went to the dentist, and, and they found a cavity, so he had to do a follow-up, and he was dreading it. And so he went to this dentist, and the, the dentist gave him Novocaine. All right, and a lot of times you can do topical, and then they, and then they start putting the needle in there, and they gave him Novocaine so that he wouldn't feel any pain. And the pastor looked at the dentist and said, "Do you think you gave me enough?" And the dentist was like, "Oh yeah, we gave you enough. I promise you that you won't feel a thing. Just in case I'm wrong, let me know." which is kind of hard when you have your mouth open, all right, and they're drilling on you. He said, I didn't like that, that just in case I'm wrong. It wasn't a real sure promise. It seemed kind of shaky. So the drilling began, that high-pitched sound, and sure enough, he felt something, all right? And he's grabbing the dentist, trying to help him, and the dentist just said this, whoops, whoops, whoops. Didn't mean for that to happen. Now, God will never say, whoops. He'll never say that. He'll be like, oh, sorry about that. I made a promise. I wasn't really thinking that I'd have to fulfill it. God doesn't work that way. Every promise God has given you is guaranteed. It's, it's a guarantee for us. And, and so as an introduction to the promises of God, I just want to help us to see that God already has proven this to be true. And some of these you'll know. So in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. So Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 7 and verse 14. And most of us know some of these verses, but I just want to read a couple of them and help us just as a way of introduction to see that God has already promised things and they have come true. So Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So was that fulfilled? Well, it was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. So in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, notice what it says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So here, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, God told Isaiah to tell, to write this down for the children of Israel, that there was going to be a sign, 
A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Now, that's impossible. That doesn't happen. And even today, you know, there are people that scoff at that and they say, well, you know, that doesn't happen. You're right. It doesn't. It's a miracle. It's a sign. Right? It was it was done. And actually, in Matthew chapter 1, it tells you how it was accomplished. It was accomplished through the power of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost accomplished that, showing it that it was miraculous. That's why, yeah, it's never happened before. It's never happened since. Why? Because it was a miracle of God. So God promised it, and it happened. Another passage is found in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Micah 5, 2. All right, if you're wondering where it's at, I'm doing the same thing. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, you know, Jonah, Micah. Oh, there we go. All right, so it's after, um, after, after Jonah there. All right, so Micah 5, 2. It says, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. So was that performed? Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. And there's a lot more that we could uh, talk about. Um, and Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, you don't have to turn there. It promised that Jesus would come forth to, to Jerusalem and be worshipped. And then we see it fulfilled in Matthew chapter 21 and verses 1 through 11. It says also in Psalm 69 and also in Isaiah 8 that Jesus would be rejected and a stone of offense to the Jews. And John chapter 1 and verse 11, it says that. It says that Jesus came unto his own and his own received him not. Uh, Jesus was to bear our suffering on the cross. Psalm 22 verses 1 through 21 talks about the suffering of Jesus on the cross. In Luke chapter 22, it's fulfilled. Promises in the Bible uh, have been categorized. There was a man named Dr. Storm, and Dr. Dr. Storm copied um, a bunch of them. He, he was from Ontario, Canada, and he had heard that there was all kinds of promises. Uh, he said that there was, uh, at one time, he said he read that there was 30,000 promises, 31,000 promises. And he said, it just seemed odd because um, sometimes people would, uh, when they were saying how many promises were in the Bible, there was more promises than more even verses in the Bible. And so this guy took it upon himself for years to categorize every promise as he was going through scripture. And he came up with 8,810 promises in the Bible. Now that's Still a lot of promises. All right, I know it's not 30,000, but that's a lot of promises. And he categorized them by promises from God to man, um, people making promises one person to another. Uh, there was promises made by angels. Uh, there was promises, uh, even there were some promises made by Satan. Now, just so you know, his promises never come forth. All right, uh, he's a liar. And so as, as he went through those, he found that all of these promises that God has for us, and then he categorized them. So this morning, I would just like us to just consider some promises that God has given us that encourage us, that help us. All right, so every promise 
in the book is mine. So first of all, in our category, I'd like to look at promises that bring comfort. Promises that bring comfort. Again, if you, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And we're going to read a couple of verses in Psalm 119. Promises that bring comfort, first of all. The first thing that we see that brings comfort to me, God has promised to preserve his word. Amen. He's promised this. Amen. It's a great debate right now. And so there's, um, and it's one of the things that God has really impressed upon us as far as uh, my pastor and then as I uh, try to help lead and direct the seminary is helping guys to understand uh, the Baptist tradition that we have, but also that it is not, it is not ignorant. It is not something that makes us, uh, you know, the illiterate people of religion to believe in the King James Bible. But they've kind of made it that way. And why have they done that? Because, well, only, uh, and uh, there, there's a great debate in the um, inspiration and preservation of Scripture. And I know they're two different words. But what I think a lot of people have done is split them. Because inspiration and preservation, all right, uh, my pastor, Pastor T.H. Moore, has said this. If we do not have preservation, all right, then ins inspiration without preservation will last only one generation. Because it is linked together. And they've almost made it sound like, well, if you don't know the original languages... I don't know, you little doofus, if you can read and write. Well, the problem is that you're sending us back to the Dark Ages. Because that means only a certain level of people can have Scripture. And that is not what God has promised. Look at Psalm 119. We're going to read a couple of verses. Look at verse 89, first of all. Verse 89. Forever... O oh Lord, that sounds like a long time, just so you know. Yeah. Thy word is settled. Amen. And where is it settled? In heaven. Amen. 152. Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them for how long? Forever. Look at uh, verse 160. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. In Matthew chapter 5, uh, Jesus said this. In Matthew uh, chapter 5 and verse 18, for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Then in Matthew chapter uh, 24, Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 34 and 35. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Preservation. And it's God's job. That's what uh, in Psalm, uh, we were there in 
in Psalm 119, but Psalm 12 and verse 6 says this, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Now, it's interesting. In fact, I was with a a pastor in Florida last month, and uh, he's... Um, he's gone to, he's, he loves studying different things, and actually he found it in his library. Um, Central Baptist Seminary many years ago came out with a whole document against Psalm 12, 6. The whole, a whole document saying that in the original languages, actually, this is not talking about the words of God. All right? And I sat there and read it, and I said, this doesn't even make sense. But that's what they say. Well, you little imbecile. I mean, I mean, again, you know, I don't know where you grew up, you little hillbilly. You probably don't know how to read and write that much. But, you know, if you had the learning I have, you would know that that doesn't mean that God will keep his words. Well, actually, you know what? You may think you're smart, but I'm pretty sure thou shalt keep them, O Lord. I can pretty much understand that. God said... It's not up to you, doofus. It's up to him to keep his words. Okay? Two can play at this game. All right? If you, if you want to act that way, but, but actually, God said, I'll keep them. And some of it is that I may not understand how God does his job. But I'm fine with that because God, hopefully, is smarter than me. All right, he might be a little more powerful, a little smarter, a little more knowledge. And that should be comforting to us. And by faith, sometimes I have to understand, by faith, I say, you know what? God said he's going to do it. God never lies. He keeps his promises. And so God has promised us that he would preserve his word. But then there's another promised a promise that he has. So look at 1 Samuel chapter 2. I love this one because this is uh, an encouragement to me. Remember, this is the story of Hannah. And Hannah was without a child, without a man-child. And it was very important uh, in that day and age. It's still important uh, as far as it's, a, it's an honor. It's uh, children, the Bible says, are a heritage of the Lord. It, it is a blessing from the Lord. And so it was concerning to her that she didn't have a child. And God blessed her with the child. And notice in 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy. As the Lord, there is none besides thee, neither is there any rock like our God. So what is a promise that brings comfort? God has preserved his word, but God has unmatched power. There is nobody like our God. And, And you're coming up to a time. Okay, um, I'm referencing this because Pastor and I talked a couple of weeks ago and I said, hey, can, if, if there's any way I can help uh, when I come. And he says, well, we're, we're coming into a building program. Well, building program, it stretches people. It's a faith moment. All right? And just so you know, 
I've experienced that. In your life, God will push you and stretch you. You know, there was many years ago, maybe when I was a teenager, maybe when I was a little kid, you, you have this idea, once you get saved, uh, it's like this bliss. It's like a Joel Olstein idea that every day is a Friday. That's why I wrote the book, Every Day is a Tough Day, because I don't know what world he lives in, uh, but sometimes every day is a Monday to me, okay? It ain't a Friday. And so, but I was like, God, what's going on? But what I learned is in this life, God pushes us. He's growing us. And part of that is uh, when he gets us saved, he's not done with us. He doesn't save us and toss us to the side. All right, I got you set for heaven. He wants us on this earth for a purpose. It's to bring glory to him and to have a job. We're, we're here. We have a purpose. So he grows us and... One of the only ways we grow is through tough times, right. not easy times. An easy way to illustrate that would be uh, just through sports or through working out or athletics. If somebody, all right, I'm not talking about a Michael Jordan or somebody that I don't know, you know, you know, he was born, he was born dunking. All right, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the average Joe that we're out there and we're trying to learn how to play basketball or some type of sport or just working out. We're trying to push ourselves. It doesn't happen without some strain, an exertion of energy, cutting back maybe on some food, not eating Twinkies, you know, uh, packages of them every every hour, all right? if you do that, probably your muscles will be a little floppy or creamy, all right, cream inside. All right, there's going to be something wrong there. So in the same way, God pushes us and helps us grow. But this is what, he, this is what you can bank on, though, that God, when you learn to rely on God, he has unmatched power. Amen. Unmatched power. There's nobody like our God to supply our needs. There's nobody like our God that can provide. You know, they're the world. They look and they they laugh sometimes at Christianity. Because like, oh, you little, you you poor vagabonds. You know, look at what we have. And and you go. I've been able to travel a lot around the world. I've seen some amazing things and some amazing churches, Muslim, Catholic. Okay, Uh, they have a lot of gold in those Catholic places. But when you walk in, I don't feel God. You sense a lot of evil. There's just an oppression that is there. So they may have a little bit of money. They may think they have some power, but God is unmatched in power. And what is amazing to see is how God can take just us feeble, simple people and raise up a strong church. And, and somebody would come, and I think God enjoys doing this. Somebody would come and say, so how is that possible? I don't know, because you look at us and we're not really bright. We're not really rich. But that right there says God all over it. That's, that's the unmatched power of our God. So a promise that brings comfort is God has preserved his word 
God has unmatched power. But then you go to Philippians, a verse that, boy, I have quoted many a time over the last year, especially as Philippians 4 and verse 13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And then Philippians 4, 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory unto Christ Jesus. God will provide for his saints. Yes. Now, he may not provide what you think, right? You know, I'm, my rental car is not a Maserati. All right. Unbelievable. And I don't have a Maserati sitting at home. All right. I don't. All right. It, it may be, not be what you think, but God will supply your needs. He'll supply every one of your needs. See, those are promises that bring comfort. I'm not left alone and God's like, well, I don't know. Maybe I'll kick you something. Got a spare nickel or two. I'll give it to you. No, God says, I have preserved my word for you. I'm unmatched in power and I can provide for my saints. So secondly, I'd like to look then at some promises that bring courage. Look at Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. And I think most of us know the story of Joshua, but Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 and 9. So Joshua is following, uh, even to this day, if you would sit down with Jewish scholars, Jewish historians, what you'd find is there'd probably be a, a debate between Abraham and Moses. Most would debate Abraham and Moses as far as the top two that you would want to be. The top two. Well, Moses was an amazing man. Um, even, even Christ honored him. So Moses and Joshua is following in his footsteps. Now, you would think that if you're following a man like that, there would probably be a little bit of fear and trembling. And actually, in Joshua chapter 1, you sense that. Because over and over, God says, look at verse 6. All right, here is God talking to Joshua. Be strong and of a good courage. What is he trying to do? Hey, you know what? Have courage, son. I know, I know you're following the dude. All right, the man. All right, but I got you. All right, promises that bring courage. Look at verse 7, only be thou strong and very courageous. But then he gives them some help. Look at verse 8 and 9. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. So where was God with them? In the passages of Scripture that he had. He said, meditate upon it. Be in it day and night. So a promise that brings courage is God's word will bring success. His word will not return void. So give it out. Speak it. Give it to people. Why? Because his word does not return void. Now, sometimes we act like, well, I know somebody that I've given them the word and they've rejected it. It still hasn't returned void. It's still powerful. It still can do its work. 
God's word will bring success. And what we sometimes forget is that God's way is different than this world's. It is different. You know, I'm, uh, God recently has really been driving home to me the idea. One of the, one of the greatest graces or characteristics that a Christian can have is humility. And that is contrary to our flesh. There's nothing in our flesh that says, <clears throat> make me lower. <laughs> There's nothing. There's nothing in our flesh that says, I want to be second or last. But yet all through scripture, that's what God wants. Success is lower, not higher. And as we understand that, following God's word brings success. That's why you see Christians, you know, they're, every once in a while the world will have an article in, in their paper or in their news, uh, in their news forums. There'll be a shocking study. People that pray have less stress. Like, wow. People that attend church once a month have less stress. And I'm like, all right. You know, I could have told you I mean, some of the things, and I'm sure I'm I'm hoping someday to kind of lock into some of those government funding things. And I'm like, hey, can I do that stupid? Can you give me a hundred hundred million dollars to do that study? All right, uh, because really, I already know it. All right, guess what? Praying, yeah, it helps you. Studying the Bible, it, it makes right, people people that read the Bible and go to church. Stay married more. Unbelievable. Who would have thunk? Now, guess what? It should give us courage, though, that God's word brings success. And every once in a while, the world figures it out. So God, it should bring us courage that God's word brings success. But then look at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Sometimes we only think of this in the negative, Galatians chapter 6. Look at verse 7. It says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary and well-doing, for in due season we shall reap... If we faint not. And notice verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So a lot of times we look at this in the negative. You know what? Remember, what you sow, you're going to reap. But some, this passage also is talking about the positive. God's work will produce results. Notice what he says. You sow to the Spirit, you reap life everlasting. Now, what sometimes we want to see that right now, but some of our sowing we may not see until the, the benefit until eternity. But it's okay. God's promised that his word, his work, will reap benefits. So then let's stay at it. 
That's, that's a promise that encourages us to take courage, to, to stay at it. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes you're, you're working with somebody um, on, on salvation or you're, you're working on a project and it just doesn't seem to be flowing properly. Maybe you're trying to, uh, you're praying and you're trying to raise funds or you're trying to um, knock on doors, you're trying to reach an area and it just seems like, man, God, it seems like there's no result. No, God's work will pre- produce results. Some of it might even be in your own heart. Because, you know, uh, my pastor was saved uh, later in life. I was telling Pastor Eccles, I, I love his testimony. So he worked in Atlantic City. Um, as a young man, he was debating and going to college and different things. And so he went to college for a little bit. But then he found that the casinos was where you could make a lot of money. So he started working in the casinos and he made his way up to upper management and was making a lot of money. And in his 30s, um, one of either his dad or uh, his wife's dad, there was, there was some death in the family. And then they started having some marital problems. And there was a Baptist church around the corner. And they went to that church and the pastor ended up leading him to the Lord in his 30s. And so um, I say that uh, because uh, he has a fervor for sowing. Fervor. I mean, just he's always thinking about souls. Always thinking about souls. And even he told me um, recently, he says, when I'm having a bad day, I just go out and go sowing. He said it changes my whole perspective. You see, sometimes doing God's work produces a result in you. It just encourages you because you're doing an eternal work. And God has given us uh, that, um, that responsibility. So God's word will bring success. God's work will bring results. So let's think lastly. So he said promises that bring comfort. Promises that bring courage. Oh, but then there's some promises that should bring caution. So what are some promises? Look at, let's look at the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 7. And this is a story, more of a story in Joshua chapter 7. But I think a lot of us know about this story. Look at verse 10. So this is the story of Achan. And verse 1, it tells us what happened, but the children of Israel committed a trespass and the accursed thing. So what do we know about the word sin in the Bible? There's a, a number of different words. So you have the word sin, you have the word transgression, uh, but then you have this word trespass. So that means sin, okay? Somebody did something wrong, and it tells us who it was, for Achan did it. Look at verse 10. It says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. So Joshua goes to um, the next town. So this was, you know, the first town was Jericho, and they defeated Jericho, and Joshua couldn't take any credit because the walls just fell down. But then they go to this little town, Ai, and it, and it seemed like, man, you don't even need that many people, and men were killed. And Joshua then is on his face before the Lord, and look at verse 10, And Joshua, the Lord said to Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? 
Israel hath sinned. They have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore, except you destroy the accursed from among you. Up, sanctify the people, and say, sanctify yourselves again tomorrow. But then go to the end of the text, verse 25, in chapter 7, notice what it says. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, wherefore the name of that place was called the Valley of Acre unto this day. What should bring us caution? Sin will not be unpunished. Now, I can look out at the world, and I'm always like, you know what? Why isn't something happening over there? But I'm talking to us, because in our own heart, and our own life, sin will not be unpunished. It should send caution. The promises of God are true. You've seen over and over, and that's why we wanted to try to present that at the beginning when you see that God in the Old Testament promised some things about Christ. He said, hey, he's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to be born specifically in this town called Bethlehem. And then he's going to come riding upon a donkey. And then he's going to be rejected by the whole Jewish nation. And he's going to be crucified on a cross. All of those came to pass. And people have studied it. There's hundreds of promises just about the life of Christ. Every one of them was fulfilled. And what that should tell us is that when God promises something, it'll come to pass. Now, there's some that bring us comfort about his word, about how he supplies and takes care of the saints. There's ones that bring us courage because God's word, man, it brings success and God's work. He, it will produce results, but also God's word says that sin will be punished. And we sometimes push that out on everybody else, and we say, yeah, you know what? Punish those people, but that means for me. Right. And when I allow sin into my heart, when I allow sin into my life, I have to understand that it will be punished. There's a payment for sin. Yeah. Right. There is a payment. There's a penalty for sin. And so then I need to guard, because sin will try to take root into my life and in my heart. And I need to have times where I am being introspective. That's one of the reasons why as a church, God brings you together as a church. And guess what he does? He has you remember the Lord's Supper. You know, it, it's, it's amazing. God, remember in our, I think we were talking about this in our Sunday school lesson, that God is an amazing planner. And when it comes to the church, it's amazing the things that he put into the church. And one of those is communion. Because as you come to the, to the table, he says, consider, examine yourself. And one of the things we do, when I sit and I consider what Jesus did for me on the cross, 
I start thinking about the cost of sin. And then he zeroes in on me and says, well, why are you letting that sin there? Because that cost, that God speaking to me, the Holy Spirit convicting says, it cost my son on the cross. And it's okay for you. No, it isn't. I need to get rid of that sin. See, God in his wisdom has all of these things so that we consider, we examine ourselves. Sin will not be unpunished. And then our text was in 2 Peter chapter 1. And this is our last text then. So 2 Peter chapter 1, and remember in verse 4 it says, There is given unto us great and precious what? Promises. And it tells us that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. But notice verse 5 through 10 gives us an addition to this text. Look at verse 5. And besides this, giving all diligence. So he's talking to Christians, isn't he? And he says, besides this, now you're saved. Notice what he says. Add to your faith. So what is a promise that brings caution? Well, notice in this text, verse 8. So he gives us a list of things to add. Then in verse 8, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. Guess what a promise that should bring caution. The saint should produce fruit. So there's an idea out there that uh, we would call it the grace movement. Grace movement is that, you know what, you're saved and that's taken care of and do whatever you want. They have a very limited understanding of Scripture. The reason is, yes, I do nothing for salvation, but after salvation, God expects me to work. And it's found all through Scripture. Some have taken it and twisted it, and so the passages say, work out your salvation and all that. They've said, oh, you can lose your salvation. That is, no, I do zero for salvation, and it's very evident in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and Titus 1, chapter 1, and Titus chapter 2. It's very evident there. But over and over, and in this passage, notice what it says. After I'm saved, add to your faith. Sure seems like there's something on me. And it says, if I am not doing it, I lack things and I'm blind and cannot see. Now I've passed over 30 years of working in ministry. And after over 30 years of working in ministry, I have met some people that are Christians, they, I, I don't know their heart, but they say they're Christians, they've attended church, they've read their Bible, but there is zero fruit that shows that they're a Christian. There's zero evidence of a Christian life. And what are some evidences? Notice what it says. There's virtue. There's knowledge. There's temperance. What's temperance? Self-control. There's patience. There's godliness, there's brotherly kindness, there's charity, all of these things. You know, there should be growth in our life. 
We're adding, we're working at it. The, the saint should produce fruit and have growth. And that is something that, it's a promise, promises of God. What he says is, I want to make you more like God. I've given you these promises so that you can, look at verse 4, you can be partakers of the divine nature. These are promises that I can grab hold of and say, God, I want to be more like you. So what should I do? Work at it. I have found that with some folks, when it comes to Christianity, they put more work into washing their car and cleaning the inside of their car and taking care of their house than they do of their Christian life. And yet, the Bible says that the effort that I put into my Christian life has eternal value. The devil is a master at getting us off of the eternal and onto the temporal. This morning, I'd be doing, as we close, a great disservice if I did not tell you about one of the greatest promises of all. And this promise is this, that if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, God has promised that you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. John chapter 1 and verse 12. You don't have to turn to these, but I will read them. But in John chapter 1 and verse 12, it says this, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, that's a promise. The promise is that if you trust, you come to Christ and you say, you know what, on my own, I, I've tried. I've tried good works. I've tried church. I've tried baptism. I've tried a whole bunch of things. I've tried just doing it on my own. And you said, I, I can't do this. God says, I know, but I've taken care of it for you. He sent his only begotten son so that if we put our trust in him, we are promised that we have eternal life. It's only through him. The promises of God are amazing. One man, one of my favorite poems is called The Anvil of God's Word says this, last eve I paused beside the blacksmith's door and heard the anvil ring, the vesper chime. Then looking in, I saw upon the floor old hammers worn with beating years of time. How many anvils have you had, said I, to wear and batter all these hammers so? Just one, said he. And then with twinkling eye, the anvil wears the hammer out, you know. And so I thought, the anvil of God's word. For ages, skeptics, blows have beat upon, yet though the noise of falling blows was heard, the anvil is unharmed, the hammer's gone. God's word is filled with precious promises. The anvil of God's word and the promises that are there have lasted 
the test of time when the hammers of the skeptics and the scoffers and the hammers of the demonic forces have come against that anvil of God's word. And God's word is still here. It's still lasting over the, the vast amount of time. Have you found God's promises for yourself? If you do not know Christ as your Savior, would you trust him today? Would you trust in his promise of salvation? But maybe it is that God dealt with you in some area. Maybe there was a question about his word, and God said, hey, I have promises to bring you comfort. Maybe there's a question about your work, and God says, no, take courage. I have promises that... God's word and his work will bring success. Or maybe it is, there was a promise about caution. And God convicted you about something and said, hey, you need to take care of it. They would ask during the invitation time, you do that. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes, and in just a moment we'll have a time of invitation. And would it be this morning that you would say, I don't want to embarrass you, but you would say, you know, I don't, know Jesus Christ as my Savior, but you, you mentioned about Christ, coming to Christ for salvation, and that he promises that I can have eternal life. I don't want to embarrass you, but I'd like to pray for you. If you'd say, I do not know Jesus Christ as my Savior, would you pray for me this morning? I won't embarrass you, but I'd just like to pray for you. Is there anybody like that here this morning? You'd slip up your hand and say, I do not know Jesus Christ as my Savior. Would you pray for me? What about here this morning as Christians? Did God deal with you in some promises through Scripture? You'd say maybe it was in some area of comfort that, you know, the devil has been just hitting you with. And through the promises of God's Word, he brought you comfort. Or it could be that you needed courage, that you've been at it for a little while, and maybe you've been thinking that God's Word or His work, it just... It's futile. God encouraged you there, or maybe even in some area of caution. Say, pray for me this morning. God spoke to me this morning. Would you pray for me as you close in prayers? Is there anybody like that? You'd slip up your hand. Thank you. Anybody else? You'd slip up your hand and say, God spoke to me. Would you pray for me? Thank you. Anybody else? All right. Thank you. In just a moment, we'll have a time of invitation. If you need to come and kneel at the front or even at your chair, you do that. Ask God to help you. Let's stand together and we'll close in prayer and then we'll have just a time of invitation while the piano plays. God dealt with your heart and you want to come forward and pray. You want to pray at your seat. You pray at your seat and you do that. If you're unsaved, you need someone to talk to, we'll be here in the front. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today, for your goodness. I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the power of the Word of God and the promises that you have given us. I pray that you would deal with hearts, use the Word of God as you said, it won't return void. I pray that the Holy Spirit would do His work. Lord, do that which I cannot do and speak to hearts. We thank you for your work. Bless the invitation time. In Jesus' name, amen. Heads bowed, eyes closed as the piano plays.